Hey, we hope that hasn't been a, a story of your life. And sometimes, you know, looking back at life, we can say, um, maybe, maybe I threw things away too early uh, for one simple reason, and that is that I just didn't have the ability uh, to communicate the way I needed to communicate at a particular point in time. So today is sort of part two of Relationships 101, a refresher course we, we all need in some regard. So let me ask you a question this morning. Who was your model for communication? Who was your model for communication? Not, not who taught you to talk. Who, who was the person that modeled effective communication for you? Um, who was the person that was your teacher or your tutor or your mentor with regards to how you relate to other people in the world, whether it's in a relationship, um, uh, intimate relationship, a work relationship, a neighborhood relationship, co-workers, whatever it, it might be, who was the one that was closest to you and taught you how to communicate? And, and this, may not be, this may not be you, but has anyone ever come up to you and said, boy, based on what I've seen, you're an excellent communicator? You know? Maybe it's more like, do you talk to your mama with that same mouth? <laughs> we all learn communication from folks around us. And, and so when it comes to communication, um, communication is more than simply talking. Com communication has a style. And, and that's what we're gonna talk about this morning is, what is your personal communication style across the board? In other words, it's, it's your go-to style, it's, it's what you adopt as far as how you relate to other people. So this morning, I'm going to talk about a 2,500-year-old conversation. It's a conversation between a cupbearer and a king, and it, and it takes place in the book of Nehemiah. And this is the way it starts. It's, it starts like this. I, Nehemiah, was the king's cupbearer. In the month of Nisan, March, April, in the 20th year, which was 455 B.C., of Artaxerxes the king, it happened that I took the wine and brought it to the king. Now, let me, let me stop right here and, and do a timeout real quick. And just let me tell you this, that, that communication has a context. All communication has a context. And we need to get the context right. Otherwise, communication can go really bad. Watch this video. See how important context is? And so I'm going to give you the proper context for the communication this morning. We, we, know, that, we know that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes at that time in 455 B.C. was the most powerful man in the known world. Um, he, was, uh, he was the one that called the shots for the whole kingdom. He was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, and nobody did anything without King Artaxerxes' approval. You didn't move into the country, out of the country. He determined what you owed and to whom. He decided whether or not you lived or died. Everything that happened in the Medo-Persian Empire took place underneath him, and, and he was, the, he was a, in the long line of kings. As a matter of fact, his family ruled the Medo-Persian Empire for centuries. And this, this guy had the, had the ability, he had the power to say whether or not you existed or, or didn't even exist. And then we have Nehemiah. N Nehemiah is actually a slave in, in the Persian Empire. 
He's, he's been there since birth, and he grew up as a slave, and somehow he acquired the position or the responsibility to become Nehemiah's cupbearer. And so as a slave and a cupbearer, you had some tremendous responsibilities. You had to be intimately aware of the king. You had to be intimately aware of who he was. You had to be intimately aware of the politics that were going on around the king. You had to know what was going on in the inner court. And you also had the responsibility to test his wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And, and so the cupbearer and the king weren't at odds with one another. The cupbearer and the king had a very close an intimate relationship from an overall communication perspective. Now, in, in the space of what happens in these few short verses, here, here's, here's what happens the day that Nehemiah brought the cup of wine to the king. It says here, it says, it happened that I took the wine. Prior to that, well, that's okay, continue on. <laughs> there we go. Prior to that, I had never been sad in his presence. And so when you, begin to look, when you begin to look at this communication, it begins with the fact that we have these two guys that without the proper context, you'd say, well, so what's the big deal? But, but the, the issue is, is that they were so close in relationship that Nehemiah knew that he was gonna appear sad in the king's presence. And here's, here's what the word, the word sad here is actually translated. The Hebrew word is ra, R-A. And it just means brokenhearted or sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah is, is faced with the idea and the challenge that on this day, he has to take wine before the king, and he's not feeling himself overall. And, and the, the, challenge, the challenge is this, that based on communication with the king, he, he knows that this isn't going to be a particularly good day necessarily because it's the first time he's ever been sad. And you might think, well, what's up? Why, why is Nehemiah sad? Well, four months earlier, four months earlier, um, he ran into a delegation of people who had come from Jerusalem back to the Persian Empire. And, and he asked the question about, how are things going back in my native land in Jerusalem, in Judah? And, and this, is, this is what was reported to him. It says this, the remnant of the exile left there in the province are in great distress and are held in contempt. The wall of Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates have been completely burned up. So Nehemiah now has, we have a context of, okay, he's sad in front of the king and, and he has a reason for that sadness and the sadness is that all the people of the nation of Israel that are still back in Jerusalem um, that were part of the, they call them the remnant. In other, other words, the leftovers from captivity that they were taken from Babylon or from Jerusalem to Babylon, that they're, they're there and actually what it says is they're not themselves and they're being treated disrespectfully or contemptuously by all the other folks that are left there. And, and so we have a, we have some tension that needs attention in this dialogue. And here's what happens. The king, the king asks, why do you look so sad? Why do you, why do you look so sad? See, the first, the first element of communication, effective communication, communication that overcomes challenges or overcomes issues, is what the king does 
what the king does. It says here, the king says, why do you look so sad? The word look there is, is a Hebrew word that means compared to. So the king, the king knew Nehemiah well enough that compared to the way he normally was, he looked different today. He was responding differently today. He, he was out of sorts today. He just wasn't himself. Maybe he was even beside himself. And when it comes to effective communication, the, the thing that we have to first learn in communication with respect to the relationship is, are we listening to what's going on around us? It's not, not necessarily the words, but it's reading the room, listening to tone, watching body language. And so what we've got is we've got a king, now we've got a king that, that is in tune with the people that are around him. And, and then he says, you're not sick, so this must be some deep inner grief or sadness of heart. And so the next, the next element of effective communication is not only do we need to listen, but empathize. The king empathizes with where Nehemiah is. The, the king is someone who is, has learned to communicate. Now, this is, this is a communication bridge that my bride and I put together probably 25 years ago because we didn't used to communicate all that great. And, and we knew that there was a point in time where we have, to, we have to come up with something that enables us to work through life issues. Anybody, anybody in the room have a communication tool that they use when they work through tough stuff? Oh, this will be good then, because nobody has a tool. <laughs> when, when you don't have tools, it's really hard to make things work. And so let me, let me just, we're going to share this with you this morning because this is a great communication tool because here's, here's, where we, here's where we all find ourselves based on last week. Last week, we said that every relationship begins with hopes and dreams and desires, right? And, and as we think about those hopes and dreams and desires, they eventually get transferred over, over to another bin, which is called expectations, and sometimes they're called unrealistic expectations. And when things get into this unrealistic expectations bucket, um, sometimes we draw a line in the sand, or we have conflict, or we have disagreements over whether or not those expectations are being met. If those expectations aren't being met, then, then we generally end up flying flags in different camps, and we have this conundrum or gridlock that doesn't allow us to have effective communication. And, and this, is, this is a bridge. What Nehemiah and the king are doing today is a bridge in communication. And so wh whatever issue you may have, all right, you can put the issue right there in the middle. The, the, issue, the issue could be blended family, all right? If you have blended family issues, we talked last week, blended family issues aren't going to be a solvable problem necessarily. Um, they're going to be a problem that you have to learn to manage and you have to learn to manage them through communication. And we said that last week that if you're gonna manage them effectively, you need to be able to negotiate through and come to a conclusion as to how you're gonna manage it. Well, this process is how you get to negotiation. So you, could, you can take any issue it doesn't matter what the issue is. You can take the simplest of issues. You can take the most complex of issues. And you can, you can set this right in the middle where the it word issue is and say, okay, we're going to work through this in a systematic, 
communication method, and it's a great tool. And so, so far, so far in this communication, we've got listen and empathize. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, good. Sharp response. I love it. So the king, the king so far has listened to Nehemiah, not so much by his words, but he's, but he's listened to him from a tone perspective, from a body language perspective, from an overall demeanor. The king just knows Nehemiah well enough to know that Nehemiah isn't well enough to be doing what he's doing, but he's not sick. And so here's the first, here's the first point this morning. The first point this morning is, is that if you are in a communication conundrum, Effective communication has little to do with position. It's more about posture. It's more about posture. If, if you approach communication from a position perspective, chances are you're going to be in danger of not having an effective communication. Remember the verse from last week that we did, that we sort of concluded with? God opposes the proud, the shine above, but gives grace to the humble, those people with inner lowness. And I want to stop here for just a second. What about you? Are, are you a person that has adopted position communication or posture communication because see the most powerful man in the world at this point in time king artaxerxes he he could edict anything he could have taken the position to be a position communicator position communicators typically are people that communicate in a in a way because they have they have rank or authority or hierarchy or an office or degrees or a title or they're male <laughs> you picked up on it pretty fast that everybody can can be, can pick to be a position communicator i i'm going to communicate i'm going to communicate in this because I've got all the answers. I'm gonna communicate in this because I don't wanna be wrong based on previous understandings. I'm gonna communicate from a position of authority. I'm gonna be the expert. I'm gonna be the one that can't be corrected. I'm gonna be the one that won't receive any influence. I'm gonna be the one that's gonna be the overtalker to make sure that I'm always in control of this conversation. It always goes in the way that I want it to because in the end, it's really all about me being comfortable about the communication. So I'm gonna hold the position of being right. And, and then there's the posture communicator. And see, that, that's, what this, that's what this verse is really talking about. See, when, when, we, when we are a shine above communicator, in, in other words, we, we think our star is the brightest, we think our intellect is the wisest, we think our position is right. What happens is we adopt this position, and what happens when we adopt the position is what we dig in. And, and Artaxerxes didn't do that. Artaxerxes could have, but he didn't. Why? Because the relationship. He said, you know, in this particular case, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop back 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick it down a notch or two. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a posture communicator. See, posture communicators are humble and serving and gentle and unassuming and polite and discerning. See, posture communicators are willing to say, I'm going to take the inner lowness position. I'm going to take the inner lowness position. I'm, posture communicators actually say things like, I'm willing to learn something from this communication. I'm willing not to be right. I'm willing to take the position of a student in this communication. I'm going to look at this as a sit back and soak it up kind of moment. I'm not so above that I can't care and learn. And so Artaxerxes said to himself, just like you and I can say to ourselves in any communication, I'm going to take the low position. And it, and it just feels so awkward. But what happens is is when you take the low position, when you take the position of, of humility, what happens is conversations don't close up. They begin to expand. Because a, as soon as we're right, as soon as we have a position, as soon as we dig in, as soon as we you know, dig our heels into the sand or into the mud, uh, all, all that happens at that point in time is that we begin to keep distance between ourselves and everybody else. And the king being a wise king, said, I'm not going to do that. I, I, love, I love this next part because it's, it's the most tender part of communication, and it's also the part that is the most emotionally exasperating at the same time because what's, what's happened now is that, is that Nehemiah has come before the king. He's not himself. The king looks at him and he knows he's not himself. And, and we go to the next set of verses and this is what it says. At this, I became very fearful. At this what? Well, at this line of questioning from the king. Because Nehemiah knew that everything existed or didn't exist based on the king's edict. When, when you look at it, the, it doesn't seem so clear in the text. At this, I became very fearful because it wasn't polite. It wasn't even proper to be sad in front of the king. If you were sad in front of the king, he could have your head removed. That's why court jesters in that point in time had very little longevity before a king. You know, the court jesters, the people that, you know, kings were, kings were subject to uh, a lot of pressure, sometimes a lot of depression, and so they would bring in a court jester. And a court jester, his primary responsibility was to make the king happy. The court jester was responsible for making the king happy. And if the court jester didn't make the king happy, guess what the king would do? He'd say, eliminate that court jester and bring me another one. Bring me another one. Because if this one doesn't make me funny, I'm going to make me laugh and isn't funny, I'm going to get rid of them too. And, and so when, when Nehemiah says at this, I became very fearful, what he's doing is saying, he's saying, I know, 
I know that the next couple of statements that I make will determine whether or not this communication is a failure or a success based on the relationship that I have with the king. And he says this, may the king live forever. That's a great start, okay? May the king live forever, that's a great start. Why shouldn't I look sad when the city, the place where my ancestors' tombs are, lies in ruins and its gates are completely burned up? So now we have it. We've got, we've got everything out on the table. And, and that's what we need to do in, in our communication. When it, when it comes time to have communication, we need to listen, we need to empathize, we need to get everything, we need to get everything out on the table. And, and this, is what, this is what I love more than anything else. Have you ever had a conversation where you put everything out there and then all of a sudden realized that the response was going to either make or break the relationship. You ever done that? Yeah. How about, I am just crazy in love with you. And the response is, whatever. <laughs> there, are times when, when, there are times when we put everything on the line. There are times when we just lay it all out there. And, and in relationships, that's what we need to do. We need to, whatever those realistic or unrealistic expectations are, we're supposed to, we're supposed to lay those out there. And because the relationship is so important, then we rely on the response. What do you think the king said? He said this. The king asked me, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? You have, you have allowed me to read your body language. You have allowed me to read your face. You have allowed me to look into your life, and I know that you're not who you normally are. Something must be greatly troubling you. There has to be sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah lays it out there, puts his heart out on the table, and the king's response is, what is it that you want? You know what, you know what the king has just done? The king has affirmed Nehemiah and his feelings, and his emotions, and his well-being. And in every relationship, every relationship communication, when, when you listen, and when you empathize, and you get to the A of, inf- of affirm, uh, affirmation, is, affirmation is what makes relationships go. If there's no affirmation of feelings, there's no validation um, of where we are in life, if there's, if there's no inclusion whatsoever of you know, confirmation about someone's feelings, the communication won't go on. It'll stop in its tracks. And, and that's, what, that's what the king has done. And here's what happened. The whole relationship could have been thrown away by the king, and it wasn't. The relationship, instead of being thrown away, was validated. Was validated. And that's the, that's the next talking point. The next talking point is this. Effective communication puts people before projects. What happened? Ne- Nehemiah, Nehemiah bared his soul, the king says, what is it that you want? And, and what we have is validation, affirmation of the relationship. 
This is key. At some point, at some point in this relationship between Nehemiah and the king, the king had to make a choice. And you know what the choice was? The choice was, is the relationship more important than my position? And the answer was yes. See, that's a key question. See, in any, in any conflict, in any communication, whether it be couples at odds with one another, whether it be coworkers at odds with one another, whether it be neighbors disputing over a fence, whether it's recreational engagement, a softball game that gets out of hand, somebody has to make a choice in the communication to assume the position of inner lowness and they absolutely have to say, you know what? The relationship is more important than me individually. You know, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. That, that's, that's something that doesn't come easy to any one of us. But it really does always boil down to that. It always boils down to the fact that at some point in time, you and I have to make a decision as to whether or not the relationship is more important to us than just us individually. How you feel is more important than any agenda that you might have right now. That's what the king said to Nehemiah. How you feel right now is more important than any agenda that I have as king. And the king had a lot of agendas. And in our relationships with one another, we, we have to look at one another and say, how you feel, what you're going through, what's transpiring in life, whatever is going on in your heart that isn't working, it becomes more important than me as a person. What your heart is feeling is taking priority over the conversation. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. Think, think back, and maybe it isn't all that far back. Think back on the last tough conflict communication that you had. What position did you take? Or what was your posture? And did you care about getting things done? versus taking care of someone else's heart or considering their heart. You know, in, in 36 years of marriage, 36 years of marriage, my bride and I have gone through a lot of stuff. We didn't adopt, we didn't really adopt this principle until um, about 11 years into our relationship. And we had to adopt it because it goes, it goes back to what we talked about last week. So, sometimes you have to adopt something in the moment just to enable the relationship to survive one more day so that you can take care of that issue and then press on. And when, and when it comes to communication, the communication posture is always more important. 
You know, you, you, may, you may work with somebody, you may work with somebody that, that breezes into the office in the morning and they, and they usher out a quick uh, good morning and then they're, in, they're inside all day and they never come out and they never communicate. They never have a relationship with people in the office. Um, and when it comes time for five o'clock to come around, they roll out and, and n- there's no interaction that, that, ever, that ever takes place. I, and you know what we, what we need more than anything else? is that we need to know that the people around us care about us from the heart out. Even though we may be in a position where it doesn't really matter or it wouldn't make any difference for us for the long haul. And so what's happened now is Nehemiah and the king are at this place where the king has listened He's empathized with where Nehemiah is. He's affirmed that he's okay to feel that way. And we become aware that there's still more to the process. Because Nehemiah has a problem that he needs to solve. The problem is is that there's people in great distress in his homeland. And the place is torn down and it isn't working anymore. And so the king has just said, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And Nehemiah says this. I prayed to the God of heaven, uh, then said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has won your favor, send, send me to Yoda, which is Judah, to the city, Jerusalem, of my ancestors' tombs, so that I can rebuild it. And, and this, is, this, is the next, this is the next part of communication, this learn process. Once you, once you listen, empathize, and affirm, um, it's time to begin to reason through what the options are. See, when, when, when you're in a communication conundrum at home, you know, the, the first thing that the guys want to do in the conflict is say, let's reason and negotiate how we're going to fix this, right? Let's just fix it. Uh, we, and, and on the other side, and my bride in particular, she's going to say, well, before we fix it, I would really like to know that you've listened to where I am. <laughs> See, the f- it's starting to come together now, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. In case you didn't hear her, she said, amen, brother. All right. So it's listening empathizing, affirming, and then, and then reasoning. You don't, you don't get to get to the back side of the picture. Can we go back to the learn slide real quick? You don't, you, you don't get past midpoint, all right? You don't get past midpoint in discussing and working your way through this issue if there's no L-E-A, all right? If there's no L-E-A, you're not going to get to the right side, which is reason- and negotiate. And what's, what's happening in the text right now is that since there's been L-E-A, the, the, the king has said, what is it that you want? Validation. And now Nehemiah is kind of spilling his guts about, let's, re- let's reason through some options that we have. And so Nehemiah, go back if you wouldn't mind. Go. He says, um, I want to rebuild it. Continuing on, 
With the queen sitting next to him, the king asked me, how long is your trip going to take? When will you return? See, what happens is, is that after there's affirma- affirmation, we can begin to talk about the reasonable part of solving this problem. Because now that we know everybody is okay with one another, we can say, how long is your trip going to take? When you w- will you return? Why is it important? You know why it's important? Because the king relied on Nehemiah sometimes for his very life. He said, look, if, if I let you go, I want you to know that I'm taking as big a risk as you are in releasing you because you get to go do what you need to do for God and I'm gonna be here and I'm sort of gonna be uncovered or unprotected because I no longer have my most intimate confidant next to me tasting, tasting my wine and making sure that politically everything is going on okay around me. So n- n- reasoning with one another becomes very important and this reasoning wouldn't have happened unless the first three things had taken place. And then what does Nehemiah say? He says this, so it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a time. The reasoning part is over. See, in a policy of joint agreement, like we talked about last week, you have to talk through the options. When, when things move from, expectation, from, from dreams and hopes and desires into the expectation box, and you want to take them from the expectation box, like time together, you, you have to sit down and work through this process. You have to listen to one another. You have to um, empathize with one another about how important the time together is. You have to affirm with one another that yes, we need to spend quality, check in, face to face, knee to knee, knee, eyeball to eyeball time because no matter what our individual and personal agendas are, now listen, no matter what our individual and personal agendas are, our relationship is more important than each one of us individually, collectively, we're going to come together and, and we're going to work our way through this. We're going to reason through it. Why? Because our relationship is covenantal. We've agreed to do certain things with one another and for one another for the sake of the relationship. It's a good question. Do you, do you personally, do you personally look at your relationship as more important than yourself as an individual? Because it will answer a, a primary question, and that is, what is the position or posture that you're taking with respect to how to move it forward? And we have to get to the point of reasoning with one another. We have to get to the point where uh, um, emotions have already been dealt with. Feelings have already been dealt with. Hurt has already been dealt with. And every th- everybody's affirmed in who they are and what their position is. And this is exactly what the king and Nehemiah do. And then lastly, lastly, there's a lot up there. But basically what Nehemiah is saying here is, here's what I want. I need, I need letters to give me passage from here to get to Jerusalem. I need letters to the 
person that runs the forest so that I can buy beams and do stuff when I get back to Jerusalem to begin to repair it. And at the very, be- at the very bottom it says, the king gave me these according to the good hand of my God on me. Does that strike you funny? The king, the king gave me these according to the good hand of my God on me. You know what it's saying? The king, we have no idea whether or not Artaxerxes had a faith life. We, we just know that Artaxerxes knew that Nehemiah had a faith life. And what the king knew about Nehemiah, for some reason, became important to the king. And I'm, I'm reading between the lines just a little bit, but I have the prerogative to do that. You know why? Because I said so. No, I, no, I, it just, it struck, you know, it's really interesting when, when, we're, when I'm putting one of these things together, because this, isn't, this didn't hit me until this morning. I was sitting reading back through everything that I had put together, and I read that last line again, and I said, the king gave me these according to the good hand of my God on me. So the king knew that God's hand was on Nehemiah, not on the king. And it reminded me uh, of um, an attorney friend that I have that helped the rock through some challenges about 10 years ago. And, and we've developed a relationship that isn't a constant relationship, it's one of those relationships where I can call him on the phone and we can act like we've been talking every day for the last 10 years. It's just, he, there's just this connection that we have. And, and the last time I sat down with him, um, I asked him how his life was going um, and he, he, has, he has no relationship with, with God. Um, as a matter of fact, when we sat down the last time, he, he said this. I, I love meeting with you because you ask me all the really good questions. And besides that, I know that the good things that I've done with you or for you are in some way going to accrue to God just because I've done them. And I started thinking, that's the same. He's, he's thinking that I don't have a relationship with God, but you have a relationship with God, and if I do good things for you, maybe God will show favor on me. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's the way it works, but I can't change your line of thinking, and we'll continue to have the relationship. And so this, this part of the whole discussion, if you go back to the Learn Bridge again, This part is the negotiation. Eventually, we get to the point where we negotiate things out. In in other words, we we settle on what the agreement is going to be. We're finished with with the listening and empathizing and affirming and reasoning. Now, Now, we're going to talk about what are the details of the things that we need to talk through, like, like time. And here's the last point. 
Effective communication is a process that you, notice how clever that is, learn through practice. You're not going to go away from here today. You're not going to go away from here today and know this by heart. You're not going to go away from here today and affect this communication or this model of communication in every communication that you have. Why? Because we haven't probably learned it yet. It's, it's not something that we sat down and actually wrote it out and worked our way through a conversation about an issue that we actually have to deal with. And, and so I'm going to cl- close with my cast iron skillet. How many cook with cast iron, by the way? All right, there's a fair number of us out there. I, I love cast iron. Um, if, if you like to cook, I like to cook. And I like to cook with cast iron. But cast iron is very frustrating. Isn't it? Yeah, cast iron is frustrating. You know why? Because the first time you cook on it, it's a mess. You know why? Because cast iron needs to be seasoned. There's a seasoning process. The seasoning process is that you have, to, you have to cook and clean up the mess. But here's the, here's the challenge. You can't use soap on cast iron. You can use water, and you can use steel wool, and, and you can use oil to begin to season it. And every single time you cook, you have to follow the same rules. You cook... You let the pan cool down, you clean it, you still wool it, you season it with oil, and you let it sit. Communication is the same way. You have to, you have to treat it like a cast iron skillet. In the early stages of communication and learning to communicate and working your way through this process, it's frustrating. Because you think, is, is this pan ever going to cook like it's supposed to cook? And, and you want to you wanna throw it away sometimes. You want to give up. You, you want to make it, you want to just, it's easier sometimes after cooking eggs early on with a cast iron pan to say, I'm not scraping those out of there and just throw it in the trash. But, but if you stick with it, if you stick with it, if you cook and steel wool and season over and over and over again, what happens is that eventually, eventually, this, this pan seasoned properly I can heat it up, put a little spray in the bottom, drop an egg in there. And when it's done, it slides around so easy. It's like Teflon, but it's not. It's just become a seasoned cooker. And the same can be true of you. You, you can become a seasoned communicator. 
even though early on in the process, it might be sticky and it might be frustrating and you might want to quit and you might want to throw it away. But God is continuing to tell us, if, if you just take the time, if you just take the time and be patient and be humble and, and, and become an inner lowness person in communication, and you just practice and practice and practice, eventually what happens is that it becomes second nature. I don't even think about anything ever sticking in this pan again because it's been seasoned so well. And the same thing can be true of your communication. Nothing ever has to stick between you anymore if you just work on this process. Work on the process. And it's one of the great reasons we're having the, the class in March. Be there. Well, we're going to talk about more of this kind of stuff and how do you become a seasoned communicator. And why is that so important? It's important because how you communicate in some degree is, is representative of how much Christ controls your tongue and whether or not you're going to be the low person in this dialogue. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning together. I know that this is an old conversation between Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes. But I'm not sure that there's any more pertinent conversation in all of Scripture regarding how do we communicate with one another about life issues in a way that doesn't put us at odds with one another, but pulls us together. And that's what we want from you. We want you to pull us and hold us together. And we're grateful. And we thank you for the lesson. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.